Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Hey everybody, welcome to Web3 Unpacked. And we've got a pretty special guest today, Tony Drummond. He's from Moonbound Consulting, uh, knows a lot of stuff, Web3, VR, Metaverse, uh, a man of many trades, and, and always a pleasure to have here on the podcast. Uh, Tony, how you doing? I'm doing great, Matt and Rich. Great to speak to both of you guys again, and I look forward to being on the podcast today and sharing some key insights here. Yeah, thank you, you know, for joining us, Tony. Always a pleasure. You know, it's funny. We had one of those really killer off uh offline conversations you know you always have that where you wish that was the podcast like oh oh, we got so much stuff in there but hopefully we'll try to recreate some of that for our audience today and and just touch upon a a variety of topics um but probably the best place to get started is just tony give us a brief overview of of of, you know what you do how you got into web3 what you guys are doing over at moonbound i think that'll give people some great context to start with yeah thank you matt so you know i've been in I've been in crypto since 2017. I'm formerly from like the traditional business world and sales marketing operations. I was a consultant in process improvement for a lot of companies and uh, ran plants and regions. So I have a, like a traditional business background. And eventually I had the idea to start this project with a couple of my friends and it ended up doing, it ended up going to like extreme levels, like over $200 million. It was a very big surprise for us and was one of the most popular projects last year called Micropats. And then, you know, coming out of that, you know, running a project like that is very labor intensive. And so I ended up having to quit my job to do this full time as the co-founder, CEO, and the CTO of that project. And and once I came to the realization that, uh, you know, I was a better fit kind of working on my own, I decided to start this consultancy here, which is Moonbound Consulting. And my overall purpose is really, you know, I learned a lot. I've weathered a lot of storms. I've gone through a lot of pain. And now if I can take those lessons and marry that with the traditional business background, I can enable people who are building things in Web3 to be more successful than they would be on their own. That's really the purpose of this company. And that's how we work. And we even have a guarantee, which is unique, where if you start with us and you don't like it, we give you all your money back right away. Nobody else has that. That's how confident we are we can help people. Money back guarantee. I love that. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. As seen on TV. All right. Exactly right. Sham wow. (laughs) No BS. We call it the no BS guarantee. I love it. Nobody else has it. (laughs) Because they probably can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And and a lot of uh, what you're doing is kind of, uh, it echoes a little bit of what we're doing as far as helping to to shepherd people through the, the Web3 space, whether it be conceptual business ideas to actually, you know, producing, um, uh, you know, uh, blockchain products you know, uh, that run on the product, uh, the blockchain, uh, whether it be dApps or complete OSs, um, like our partners, uh, Andromeda. So, uh, we love it. We're in the space and, and, uh, it's very exciting. Uh, never a dull moment as, uh, you know, this week in particular, you can probably, uh, mark this on your calendars this week, uh, as a, uh, one of the most, uh, devastating weeks. Uh, but we might get into that later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Just before, actually, just a brief, and not to go down that rabbit hole, because you're right, Rich, we should cover it later. But Tony, do moments like this make you feel more confident in, in this space, less confident, or just neutral? Just curious. Yeah, so basically, when I first started out, essentially, when I first started this company, which is June, I had, in the market, still wasn't looking great. I'm like, will this work? I don't know. There's only one way to find out is to try, right? And what yeah. I really thought about is, you know, from my standpoint is I don't need hundreds of customers. If I just find 10 people who are building something real, I can work with them. I can help them. Then I could even grow that business from there, you know, through helping them with other things in the future. So from my standpoint, it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, I, I think we will go lower. And if we do go lower, I don't really care because you know, I'm going to be capitalizing on that, you know, as somebody who believes in this stuff long term as well. So I'm really like right now, really trying to help people who are building during the bear market, which is a common term. Bear markets are for building, you know, help working with people right now who are actually building a real company, a real product so that when things do look better, we're ready to go. So that to me is really what I'm focused on. And I've been 
I mean, people have been gravitating towards the content I kind of put out there that shows them, you know, the, the pathway that they should be following when they're building things. So that to me has been very refreshing and beneficial and, you know, companies doing very well as a result of just focusing on these fundamentals. Yeah, Tony, you said something that resonates with us as well. Um, it's not a real numbers game right now. It's not about packing in tons of clients and, you know, fumbling over, you know, all sorts of deadlines and whatnot. There, there, it, it's just not happening in that volume yet. Someday, well, you know, our companies will have to scale and do whatever. Uh, but it is focusing on one or two really dedicated clients that need lots of help, even beyond Web3 and, and development uh, resources. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're on the same, uh, same path as you <laughs> in a very similar way. I think jumping in a little bit, you know, there's so much we, we can cover and there's no shortage. But uh, something we were talking about a little bit offline, uh, Tony, what are your thoughts on the different chains that people can can build upon right now are there benefits say you want to go like binance smart chain you want to go polygon i think a lot of developers and and people with with visions in the space that very simple question is sometimes even a, a place where they can get tripped up what are your thoughts on that what are advantages and disadvantages to going different routes yeah so this is also a topic i've been just writing some information on recently so i'm glad you asked that is and i get questions on this all the time so how I look at this too is, first of all, what is your product and your utilities? Because these different chains obviously have different benefits to them. Some of them have higher transaction costs. Some of them have high, faster transaction speeds. So if you have something that has like a high frequency product that's, that's paid for very often, or you have a lot of transactions to run, you don't wanna be on something like Ethereum, at least right now, because that's gonna be very costly for users and they're not gonna wanna pay like, Know, a lot of after, those gas fees yeah now, they really yeah, what's happening yeah. now is cheap but you know, yeah uh, the other thing i also want to mention is you're not just looking at your transaction speeds or your costs but you're also looking at the culture of these different networks for example on the binance smart chain side like where one of my projects came from is that has its own culture and it's largely from what i found out after the fact there's a lot of gambling and that kind of stuff where it's more like sort of like speculators are in there. It's not really mm -hmm. like when you have a real project, it's not really beneficial to put it there if you want any, any level of sustainability later on. It can actually hurt you because of the culture that's there. So despite the transaction costs or speeds, it's a cultural thing in the launch pads that are available. What are the most popular ones? Who are the most popular marketers? Who are the people in the call channels that promote the projects on this chain? You know, if you can think about that and how that could impact your project, it helps inform where you're going to kind of launch this beyond just transaction speeds or costs. So you can make sure like in Ethereum, that's great for long-term investors because Ethereum is like the original DeFi, you know, coin, coin basically. So, you know, Ether is. So when you think about that, that's really where you'll find most of the legitimate projects. And then you find like Kronos and stuff where it's sort of like a lot of memes and that kind of stuff. It's a cultural mm -hmm. thing. And if you're not cognizant of that, you're also going to end up maybe in a world of hurt because you'll have built something that nobody there will want. You know, like if you try and build a really serious project, like I just talked to a guy today in the medical space, you know, if he goes to put that there, he's going to have a very hard time later on because yeah. nobody's going to want to use that. And then you also look at what, what services are also integrated with this blockchain. So, for example, if you have NFTs, you don't want to be on BSC because most people on BSC don't really buy a ton of NFTs right now. And plus, OpenSea doesn't even support that, despite BNB being a huge market cap project. They, they support Solana, they support Polygon, which is far less than BNB even is. So why? Because it's the culture. You know, they know that in there, they're not going to buy the NFTs. You know, and mm. you know, that's really where I look at things. And another thing I want to mention is also total liquidity. So, for example, if, if you want to have a project that's going to go up to hundreds of millions of dollars or something like that, yet you're on a Polygon, well, look at the market cap of Polygon and look at the liquidity that's there, and then you'll see that your potential to reach these heights is going to be limited by the capital that's in that network, right? So so that's really where it's important to consider that all of these things with your strategy, and there's even more than that I can go into, but I want to leave time for other questions too. But that's where yeah. I kind of look at it at a high level. Yeah, Tony, um, really interesting. Market cap, definitely, or liquidity for sure. Um, features and functionality of that specific chain, of course. 
we ran into something and, you know, with one of our clients and they were potentially in big trouble when Terra uh, imploded, right? A lot of, a lot of developers or, or, or dApps or applications, OSs, panicked and or 50% of them, 60% of them are actually gone. They vaporized because of that. One of our partners, we were on the phone with them all week, all weekend, basically going through what's going to happen, what's going to, you know, uh, are you guys okay? What happened? They built, they spent the extra time to build multi-chain capabilities. Um, huge thing. It takes double the effort, uh, maybe not double, but extra effort. Um, but it paid off in spades because look at what's happening. You don't know. $2 billion indexes going down. Like that's bonkers. It's totally crazy. And it proves you like, you know, it proves to everyone that is, this is a great experiment. It's wonderful. And it, and it will turn out well, of course, but you just don't know. Even the big boys are taking, you know, face plants these days. So watching multi-chain, understanding the features of functionality and definitely, you know, the financial end of it as well. All good points. Yeah, great comments in your end too, Rich. <laughs> what do you think, Tony? I, I like what you said about the finding the right culture when you're when you're kind of going a certain route as far as where what, which chain to go go with. Uh, what are your thoughts? Like, say Solana, you're on the fence. Solana, Polygon, maybe Ethereum's too expensive. How do you find the right culture fit? What should people be keeping in mind? Yeah, so how I look at this as well is I felt. I feel like a lot, of, and even some of the clients who come to me, there's, it's a lot of pie-in-the-sky utilities. Okay, like, yeah, this is what we want to make. Well, think about what people are actually going to use and buy. That's what you have to be thinking about. So when we think about, like, a cultural thing, if you're going to build a real product, you probably don't want to be on Binance Smart Chain. You probably don't want to be on Kronos or something like that or Doge Chain. You know, you don't want to be there. You don't want to wow. be there. So. You know, the cultural part is also around, like, when you come up with your product and you identify your utilities, just like you do in traditional business, here's what I'm going to sell. Here's the gap I've identified in the market. Here's what I'm going to sell to help solve that. And I'm going to use blockchain technology because of these benefits. If you're there, then you're already miles ahead of most people from what I found. And then if you can also think about that, now who would want to be interested in buying this? Then we get back to sort of the marketing side, right? So when you think about cultures, it's really – how can we attract the people on the given network that makes sense with our product to come over here and actually become buyers of what the token is? And so that's really where you have the strategy of identifying who your target market is, breaking that down into avatars so that now you can talk about, you know, what interest do they have? What pain points does that individual avatar have? And then from there, I also identify who that avatar might be even looking at right now that might be similar to what you're building and work to bring them to your project so then you can form your community off of that. That's what I've seen be successful because now you're leading with the product first and then you're identifying people who would want to get it and use it and then you're building a community of them. And then if you can continue that, you can get that momentum and ultimately drive your project forward, okay? And so that's really what I look at from a cultural standpoint is you have to have that seed that starts it and each project will also have its own culture but if you start off in a bad network that has historically a bad culture of gamblers, let's say, it's going to be much harder to find those legitimate people in there. But if you're on Ethereum, it's much easier to find them in there. Yes, there's gamblers there, too. I mean, let's just be honest. That's what a lot of the space I, is, is, speculation. Oh, yeah. I'm a speculator in some cases. I'm a gambler in some cases. I'm not going to lie, right? It's not all my portfolio. But my whole point is, uh, you know, this is how we're able to isolate the people who would actually want to be interested in this so we can build the culture off of that and have a bunch of people who are just enthusiastic about it. Did you play with Doge at all ever? <laughs> no, <laughs> I see these I mean, memes where they say, you know, tell us where these Doge developers are now. <laughs> like it's a psychiatrist yeah. sitting on a couch, but just curious, have you played with any of those kind of really altcoins in any way? You know, how I got how I got into the DeFi space in general was I was a traditional investor in like VeChain and Harmony and these projects out there that I personally loved and I saw a lot of real world value in. And then when I started seeing on Facebook, some of my friends were like, hey, I have this 100x off this dog coin. I'm like, you know, what? let me just check this stuff out and see what I can do over here. And I just started getting in there and just, you know, throwing a few hundred dollars in here and, and – 
All I've put into cryptocurrency, by the way, is little over $2,000 in total. I built all this off of that. So to answer your question, yes, I found good opportunities. I've been in there. And uh, that's what I've kind of just reinvested and built all this up off of that uh, through some of these, yeah, pure gambling plays where you can make 45000 in a day off of a small investment. You know, that's yeah. an actual win I had. You know, that's an actual win I had off of a dog coin, you know, no less. So it's like, <laughs> so you never know what you could get. But, yeah, yeah, why Actually, not? Tony, it's a good story because uh, I'll just go and again, again, not financial advice here. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's just <laughs> NFA. We we say that in the studio all the time. Um, you know, it's important to actually take earnings, right? Um, and drip out a little bit. And what you did, which uh, which I think is super cool, is you speculated, you gambled a little bit, you strategized, you won. And then you pulled a little bit out and you reinvested it in yourself. Yep. Perfect. Great. That's a great crypto story right there. Learn from that, kids. Um, and and I think Doge, you know, where are all the Doge developers and uh, what's going on in Doge? Uh, I think we have to wait for Elon to make a, a couple of tweets before that starts to pop off and again, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all that's going to go to zero anyway, because, you know, when we talk about tokenomics, Doge is continuously being made. You yeah, know, it, it's yeah. inflating, right? So we, so I, I never hear about the inflation. I always hear about the price and Eli and everything else, but nobody talks about how many of these tokens are actually being made. And since there's no limit on that, it's going to continue to make more and drive down the value even less, right? So it's like we don't, nobody wants to talk about like the underlying fundamentals in a lot of cases, a lot of this stuff. But that's yeah, you know, yeah, with the dog coin, I never hold on to it. Know, for any level of time, they're all pure game. Just as an example, just last night, I, I threw eight grand in Bitcoin. I've already sold it today. I made $800 just off a of swing trade, looking nice. at what the market was going to go down. It always comes back up, yep. at least a little bit. So I put the money in, wait till it comes up to the level, sell it off. And now I have a good steak dinner. You know, that's, that's a new iPad Pro. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Pro. I, no, not financial <laughs> advice, but to answer your question in investing style, that's kind of how I tend to play it is carefully, cautiously, but looking for opportunity, capturing that, and then, like you said, reinvesting and just building from there. Absolutely. And you, you definitely have to have – I tried to, to to day trade a little bit and do – you know, watch the markets. You have to have a stomach for it. Um, yeah. It's not for everyone. I don't suggest it. Personally, myself, I'm very much like you, very small amount of money put in over years um, yep. or dripped in or did, you know, released, you know, buying at specific prices um, or, you know, um, you know, averaging up, if you will. And it works. I'm a macro guy and kind of that's the way I'm staying. I have, uh, I'm a maximalist in certain areas and, you know, a gambler in other areas. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super interesting, uh, for sure. Um, you know, Tony, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot and what we're starting to actually frame out for ourselves is the idea of creating a DAO around Web3 Unpacked, right? We have ARC, our you know, you know, strategy and design uh, uh, firm uh, uh, and product development firm. But Web3, you know, Web3 Unpacked is kind of taking on its own life. And we want to start to offer more, a little bit of services uh, and voices to, to our, our, our audience listeners and uh, our participate, part participants. And we're thinking about and putting the pieces in motion for a DAO, right? So we'll have a founder's token. So a token that, you know, people like you, Tony, will get because you've been on the show. That'll allow you to connect with other people that have been on the show. Um, we'll have member tokens and perhaps, you know, investment type of uh, ideas that bubble up down the road. Um, and it sounds great and like, wow, let's do this. And you, you have to take a step back and really think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And do you actually really need this? Right. Yeah. You know, um, for us, it's a little bit of, yep, this could work. Oh, and by the way, you know, we talk about this stuff. We actually use this stuff. We use all the protocols. We start, you know, we, we have to convert a lot of, you know, uh, tokens into this, that, and the other thing to do whatever we want to do. But now we're starting to spin up NFTs that are really value driven. What are what are your 
what are some of the basics that you would say from a high level strategic kind of on-roading uh, uh, perspective, what kind of advice would you have or uh, thoughts would you have for people trying, you know, going into or wanting to, to create a DAO for them, their company or their services? Yeah, first of all, I would look at like, why are you really doing that? Like, what, what are the intrinsic benefits that the membership will have? Like one example is I'm a Freemason, okay? And we have our own, like it's been around for many, many years, okay? We have our own membership cards. We have voting that we do there. We have charity that we do there, okay? So when I really think about an organization like that, I relate it almost a little bit to like a DAO, right? It does have some centralized authority to it, but largely it's all the members that are kind of voting in these initiatives and stuff like that. So when I think about like a DAO in traditional business, I look at a good also a good fundraising mechanic, even like mm. if we have an idea, we want to raise some funds. How do we do that and make sure everybody has a say in the share of what's being funded, right? And this could even play into things as simple as golf club memberships. It could play into something as simple as a new company that's going to be formed, you know, and you're going to have people who have your initial ideas for this. And they have, and obviously you have to fund it somehow. People have to have a living. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you can create an organization where you can enable that to be funded in a unique way, and the people who are actually holding that, now they have participation, they have voting rights, and and you have a community kind of built off of that, that's where I see a lot of the value of having the DAO. So now it's sort of like everyone has a voice, everyone has a, a reason to continue with this organization, continue supporting the organization, when new products or service or features are kind of roll out or we talk about where are we going to put money to everyone has a vote around that and, and that's what i really love about like freemasonry is the ability to have a say in where things are kind of going and when we think about a traditional business it's really like one leader that makes all the decisions everyone else kind of lives with it right and in this scenario now we're enabling people to have a voice and i think that is also kind of playing along the trends of even when you look at social media like web one web two web three like when we look at the freedom is always winning kind of long-term people don't want to have like this authority over them. Right. So when I think about like the purpose of a DAO, I think that organizations like that will be leveraged in many, many different ways, even to fund like restaurants. I know Gary B had something like that where he sold his NFTs and he funded his restaurant. Right. Oh yeah. 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 There's ways to do this. And then now the members, they have the private dining experience, right? You know, there's, right. there's ways, how I see this is there's ways for people all over the world, they have these ideas, but now they have a way to actually bring that to life. If they can convince people that they can execute on it and to take the ride with them, they can fund that idea and bring it to life. That's why I'm so excited about Web3 and blockchain is it's a, it's a new way to fund an idea. It's a new way to bring something to life. And it's a new way to give everybody a voice. And by the way, we can verify all this on chain. So now we know that when the vote passed, like where I'm at in Freemason, we have a, a box with black and white balls, okay? <laughs> now, people open that, they see the vote, but there's no recorded transacted history of that vote taking place, sort of what's reported by the members. But if I look at this in a Web3 space, now we'd be able to check the vote and be able to see what votes actually happened forever. That will all be logged and recorded. And what were those decisions that were made you know, all of this is very valuable now when it comes to transparency and trust, which is also what we're heading towards. You can even see the problems in the market today and what we're experiencing now were due to lack of transparency, lack of trust, a centralized authority manipulating the funds that were at their disposal, right? And so now when I'm looking towards the future, I see a lot of value in breaking down all that and enabling people that believe in an idea to help in its success and have a say and a voice. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the idea, the whole idea of a DAO it really does embody the whole concept or, or, you know, philosophy of Web3 or blockchain technology, right? The cryptography, it's secure. Okay. It's, an, it's a secure handshake between two parties or multiple parties. Um, yeah, I, I, I find it fascinating as well. And, and, um, and it's one of those things that it's, it is a, a, an experiment because you can create a society, if you will, or uh, an environment uh, of like-minded people or even unlike-minded people um, that come together. But it is, it is a, a chemistry uh, experiment in, in a weird way. But I think with the advent of really sophisticated, utility-driven 
NFTs and other blockchain OSs and technologies coupled with a DAO that kind of wraps the whole thing um, and sets the guidelines, I think you'll start to see a lot of automation as well. It's not just like, oh, I've got a voice, I'm raising my hand, I'm making my my uh, comments known. It's about, well, now I actually have a job through a company, through a DAO, and I get paid in tokens. And you, you know, uh, the whole idea of, you know, working on the web, if you, especially if you're developers, there's a whole network and a whole system that's gamified, right? So you're, you're a developer putting out code and then it's like, it's validated and you just went up and, you know, you went up another level yep. and then you got like, you, wow, Tony has 10 pieces, submissions of code that were almost flawless. You're, you're now you're at God level. You know, like you're at, and you're maybe you're shaving off more coins at the end of the day, but it's all automated. There's no questions. It's all merit based, and you're good to go. So that's really interesting. The the the, the collision of the societal part, you know, or, or um, uh, a social, you know, a network, if you will, uh, meeting the technology, really smart technology behind these these uh, applications. So that's really cool, super cool. Yeah, and as a process guy, as a technology guy, you know, that's what I personally love in the future too, is like how, like we have all these decisions that have to be made in a lot of cases, anywhere in business does, but now we have to go tell somebody about the decision so then they can do the thing, you know? So it's like, that's also a wasteful exercise. If the decision is made, just do the thing, right? And now the smart contracts automate this stuff. You know, that's where, like what you just hit on is like the magic of what I see in the future. That's why I'm so bullish on like Chainlink too, is I know that that will link uh, all this stuff together as well. That's why I, I personally see Chainlink as a huge, huge um, project in the future. Dude. NFA again, of course, not financial exactly. advice, but Tony, I'm glad you brought Thank up you. Chainlink because years ago when they first started to kind of enter the this whole, the mainstream, if you will, crypto mainstream, I started like we do, what like you should do with any stocks or bonds or anything you're buying on the NASDAQ or wherever, commodities. You look at the company, who runs it, do all that. So I did all my due diligence and then I'm like, this is a cool product. Yep. And it's actually needed right now. It's the bridge between scrubbing dirty data from 2.0 and making it clean and sparkly for 3.0. And it, it, to me, it was like, yep, that's it. I'm investing. Yeah. Um, it went up, it went down, it flatlined, it did whatever from a, a price standpoint, but, um, but a really cool company, I, I, you know, uh, organization, so, or project, I should say, um, and, uh, definitely very much into them. And keepers, like what you were mentioning in automation, that's like old school cron, it's like cron jobs basically, Yeah. You know, but now it's for web three. So when you talk about automation in the DAO's decision making, <clears throat> I think Chainlink is going to be a big part of this conversation because they're they're already multi-chain. They have access to data sources all over the place, and it's all verifiable on blockchain. And because the smart contracts are deterministic by nature, you know you can't have randomization inside of a smart contract for that reason. So you have to use something like a Chainlink. You know that's why I see just so much value with that particular um, project there and its future, especially with on the side of the DAOs when it comes to the automations, like you just mentioned. You know, it's going to be critical. Yeah. And I, I also like that they're they're really just focusing on what they're doing is is really chain. They're making the chain between two and three. They're not trying to be everything to everyone. Um, it, it, it's super cool. And, you know, it, it's interesting because w when you look at the world of Web3 and blockchain and all of this, one, you have to wake up. You have to understand, you have to jump that chasm and make the mental leap and say, wow, cryptography can work. You know, this whole thing could work. Then once you're in it, you know, you're up, to, you know, you dip your toes in, you're up to your knees. And then before you know it, you're up to your hips. And then you're really like, wow, th there's so many different protocols out here. Then you wake up again and go, oh, you mean I can take one of these and put it with one of these and have them talk to each other, that becomes magical to your point. Yeah. Like it's, it's it, you know, when you, oh, you're starting to connect the dots for yourself and then for your clients, obviously. Uh, the really, really exciting stuff. So good stuff. 
You know, something I wonder, it's funny, because I, I think we, we went really deep in fast in terms of if you're a beginner <laughs> yeah. and you've never even heard of what a DAO is, you're like, what? Uh, so decentralized autonomous organizations, I think we got into sort of the structure and the benefits. But like, so let's say someone's interested in this process, zero to something, where should yep. they start? Are there platforms? You've worked on a drag and drop platform, the tokenomics of that, if I'm correct. Are there any platforms you recommend or where you think people should begin when they're just getting started, even if just playing around with it? Yeah, I'll lay out some steps that I think are helpful. So like I just mentioned in the beginning, really having that idea around your utilities, what are you, like, what are you actually trying to make and why? Like having that purpose. And then from there, identifying that market and then from there, there's numerous platforms out there on the market. I don't know a ton of them off the top of my head that I'm going to recommend here because I don't recommend stuff like that because things change so fast. That's what I worked on, really the whole point of it was now we get into no code, okay? No code is going to be a big part of the future too. So, like, if you're trying to make your DAO, first of all, you understand what you're making. You understand who's going to want to get into it. Now you start building a community around those people with initial marketing methods. And you might even have to growth hack your way to have an initial community if you don't have any money at all to spend. So now you're at the point where how do I do this? Well, when you think about this, it's really you're going to have to find these, in my opinion, it's going to be the no-code platforms that you're going to use to be able to create your token, to be able to create any initial liquidity pools you might need there as well, to be able to create any particular NFTs you might have as well. This no-code platform is really what you're going to have to find because you, in my opinion, in the future, I don't think we're going to be paying a lot of smart contract developers for all these dials and all this customization because oftentimes it's not even needed. So you're going to need to use a, a drag and drop, no code, or even a low code platform to build your DAO and set up all of that so that you have clarity on the financials. When money comes in, where does it go? Okay. When the tokens are being expended, who do those go to? So you need transparency on that. That is all going to be set up on a platform. And then once you're live, how does that get distributed? Is there any kind of a vesting schedule off of this? You know, who, you know, all of this is very important to consider. And it, it, it gets complicated for people. And I think that's, that's the part where a lot of this kind of falls apart. But at the high level, if they could just do the basic math and think about here's the tokens I have, here's the money I'm bringing in, here's the initial value of the tokens that we're going to come up with. And there, there's plenty of resources out there for tokenomics. I even have some that I share frequently, but if you're not, if, if you're considering just that, you're going to be miles ahead of most people. And that platform is really what's going to enable you to, to build up um, what you need from a technology standpoint without spending a ton of money in your development, because you prefer that that DAO money that's raised is not just going to be sunk into development. It's going to be sunk into building the thing that you actually are raising the money for, right? So, you know, that's that to me is important. And that's why I think the low code or no code in the future will be the best platforms um, to use in the future. So hopefully this is helpful uh, for you. And I even have other people that are like looking into like membership subscription entities and things like that when it comes to how people can participate in these different ecosystems. But you know, it, it's hard to describe at a high level the steps that you have to take um, because it depends on what you're building, okay? It really depends on what you're building. Like, will you have just straight NFTs? You know, will you have tokens? How many tokens? Who's going to get them? What are the allocations? You know, there's numerous questions out there. I could do a whole podcast on just tokenomics <laughs> if I had to, okay? Oh, so it's hard to, it's So it's hard to break into those types of details, but um, hopefully at least the high level, it's helpful. And I would say... What you also want to look at is some of the more modern information that's out there online too. Like Google's a good resource. YouTube is a fantastic resource. You can what is this on... YouTube? Yeah, YouTube, <laughs> right? That's a fantastic resource. These yeah. resources are out here and I feel like people try and do it on their own and they make it up. And at the end of the day, we still don't know what all this stuff will turn into. Like Rich said, it's a giant experiment. At the end of the day. Yeah. Quick, quick follow up on that, because you mentioned growth hacks. And I think this is the thing that when I talk to people, this is where they keep running into issues. There's yeah. kind of this chicken and the egg thing. And it's not even yeah. it's not even DAO specific. It's anytime you're building a community. On one hand, mm -hmm. you want to entice people to join the community. On the other hand, how do you entice people to join the community when there's no community? So, Correct. What in your experience, the clients you've worked with, the work you've done, how do you how do you get that initial jump start? Because I think that's where people really get hung up. They, they you know they're at one user and then there's 
nothing like an empty party to to be a big buzzkill, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of. Yeah, if you if you drive by the restaurant on a Friday night, and nobody's outside the door. You definitely don't want to go in there. Maybe right. There's Sometimes no they're the best restaurants. Right? You know, it's like yeah, a mom pop shop. There's no line. You're like, this is incredible. It's a little hole in the wall, but but, but yeah, but it's hard to sell. It's, it's still a psychological thing, right? Because then if there is a line out the door, they're like, wow, that must be great. I'm going to head there, right? So it's still a psychological thing, and there's many options. So let me break this down. Step number one is really identifying your avatar, your target market. You know. Who would want what you're looking to sell? And most people don't even break that down. Like I have that even for my own company. I know my audience. I have avatars. They even have names. They have a name in there. And they have attributes of them. And I know what websites they go to. I know. So when you say avatars, you mean you're are. identifying your different target markets of who you're actually trying Correct. to go for? A yeah, target okay. market and an avatar are two separate things. A target market is an umbrella of people. An avatar is a specific person that you're going to communicate with that's yeah. imaginary so and made up. It's a persona. Yeah. Exactly. It's a persona. So with that in mind now, if we think about that, right, let's say we have Bob and Bob is into gaming projects. Well, what are the other gaming projects out there that we can have some Twitter spaces with and we can collaborate with, if you think about it? Because those people are still probably going to be interested in what we have. And oftentimes we get in the trap of we have to spend all this money in marketing to be able to bring something initially to fruition, but we don't. We don't. All we have to do is use our heads because if we just focus on, let's say, strategic partnerships and we let's say we built out 20 Twitter spaces over the course of a month, we have one almost every day, you know, or every weekday we're doing one with a project. We will have people who will join us. We will. We will. We will have people who will join us. And then from there, once we have those people, how do we engage them? How do we encourage them to bring more people, friends or whatever? And you can even allocate portions of your tokens to do just that for some initial community building so they can get access to, you know, you can have some sweep widget type thing, contest giveaways, right? Things that mobilize those members to bring more. So that's how I kind of look at this stuff. I'm more of like a growth hacker instead of let's just spend a bunch of money because that to me is sort of like, I call these magic bullet effect, like marketing effects. So I'm going to shoot the magic bullet that hires this big influencer that's very expensive. But then afterwards, I have nothing fundamentally. I have nothing fundamentally to work off of. Yeah, you you, you definitely need a consistent product, right? Yep. Whatever that is. It could be Tony Drummond, could be Rich Pasqua. We are our own products through our own podcasts, right? And we just happen to have consultancies that we <laughs> also run as well with client projects. But I also think that, you know, when, when you hit, even if you look at the, um, how you or myself or, or Matt or anyone else sets up their Discord channels. Uh, setting it up as one, there's a whole strat. We can have a whole other conversation about that. There is yeah. literally a whole strategy to it um, and uh, experimentation, just like a DAO or anything else uh, in the space. But it's also kind of looking at um, the idea that, like, I'm collecting a couple of communities. You know, I don't just go, oh, I don't like them. You're gone. I'm yeah. actually holding on to a few because they're in our, our space. They are talking about some interesting things. They're not prolific publishers yet. Yeah. They don't have tons of products. They don't have tons of IP even. But they do are they're eking out a white paper that might be interesting. So you're you're sticking around and you're waiting yep. for some alerts. So I think, and that's a very insular community of guys like us and men and women like us, you know, uh, us, um, you know, so you're willing to kind of play the long game a little bit and hear people out. If it, if it flatlines over a few months, then, you know, whatever, maybe yep. it's just not, nothing's happening there, but um, it doesn't really cost anything to, to kind of connect uh, on the discord or the telegram uh, angle. Um but people are, are keeping eyes on each other at this point. And it, it, that leads me to a little bit of another question. And, and this is just, you know, it's not some uh, real heady discussion we need to have around it. But Discord, Telegram, social media, where, where, did you, where does Tony kind of land in that perspective? Yeah, right now I'm primarily focused on sort of, you know, my, in my marketing on LinkedIn. Now, if I think about a project, I view Discord as a better option in the future because Telegram is very difficult to manage these different cha uh, different 
categories of, of even communication. You have people that speak you know, multiple different languages. How do you break all that up? Now you got all these different chats to manage and you got moderators trying to watch a thousand. It's like you have to have a thousand eyeballs to pay attention to all this stuff if you're in Telegram, right? Yeah. Discord lets you do all that in one centralized area while also enabling you know, the bots and features like that. So if you have an NFT, we can give you this role, which is really cool. You know, so you can do these types of things that I think benefit the community. Um, one thing I will share when it comes to like community building that I found to be very helpful. And in my community, I actually had people that said, I had one guy that said he got off drugs. That's how much fun he was having in our community. When he got off work, the first thing he thought about was coming into our chat and, and talking to us and, and I was blown away by that. I never would have thought that to be a thing. Wow. When I thought about what we really created is, and it was largely like how I looked at this in the beginning. I said, you know what? Let's just make it so people are having a lot of fun. Because if they're having fun, if the chat is fun, they're going to want to come back to this every day. Okay. Because, and then what it will become eventually is a habit for them to come back every day. And if we can start that process and start like every Friday, we have a voice chat. Well, then people will, out of habit, mark it on their calendars. They will want to attend if they like what they hear, right? So so that, to me, is also very important. But one of the most important things I found to be successful was really keeping people on the edge of their seats. So I'd always have some kind of a carrot on the stick, something else to dangle in front of them that's coming out to show them that we are building, that there is a future, to pay it. here's why you should be paying attention. Well, then when they were there in the chat, I would randomly – like just drop a random voice note or something like that. And then they would be like, wow, someone just threw a voice note in a telegram. Nobody does voice notes really in telegram. If, especially yeah. if you're running a project and then they also like my voice. So I would leverage stuff like that so that they were continuously on the edge of their seats. And then also through copywriting and marketing and showing them that if, even if you missed the voice chat or you didn't see my voice note, you had an announcement that also led you even further as a carrot on the stick of what we were building why it's valuable, you know, so it just continuously emphasized the importance of educating the community members of what we're really doing. And I brought them behind the scenes. Okay. I didn't, I didn't just like carefully make sure, Hey, I'm not going to tell them this or that. I brought them behind the scenes in a very transparent way and showed them how hard we're working, what we're working on. And I even have a client right now. I said, you know what, take a screenshot of what we're working on right now and send that to your community so they could see that we're here live on video. We're, we're not in the veils of darkness. We're doxxed. We're publicly working together. And by the way, we have all this information on the screen because we care about what we're building and we want to get into the details of it. You know, so if I can give any advice on community, community building, it's doing just that. It's doing the opposite of what most people do, which is like carefully holding things back. It's bringing people towards you and communicating with them as equals and sharing in what's being built and getting them very excited about it so they can feel like they're bought in and then creating those habits so they keep returning every day. Like even after the project was six months old, one of the last voice chats I did, we had about 60 people in it on a Monday morning. And I did those every day. We'd have 60 people, 70 people, Twitter spaces that were full of people, um, AMAs with hundreds of people in them. And, and most of the time, enthusiasm wanes in a project. And that did happen to us over time as well. What definitely wasn't like it was in the beginning. But if people take nothing away from this, it's the importance of engaging people and not losing track of the value of that. Because now if you lose them, you have to get new people to replace them. So anything you're doing from an energy standpoint to build that community is wasted if those people lose interest and move away. It makes no sense to bring in 300 people, let them all fall off the bus, to bring in another 300 more, let them all fall off, to bring in another, you know. Yeah you want the compound effect of interest and that's really yeah. the magic of what you can create with the right mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it's so interesting and these are all good points, uh, Tony. Uh, it's, it's interesting because you actually, when you join someone's discord server, like if you join the arc server, you're literally going to have access to me, Matt, you know, the rest of our staff, we're actually working, 24 mm -hmm. seven on discord, literally sharing files, notes. Um, you know, we're having meetings sometimes on there, what we're doing, whatever we're slinging in real time, interesting articles hovering around discord in some way, shape or form. What, and I'm pointing more people to my discord server 
than I am to my website. <laughs> At what point does it become the website? You know, that's a really interesting, you know. Yeah. Not to mention VR thinking. spaces and metaverse. And, and Tony, I know you've done work in that area as well. Like the idea of going to a website yeah. may be antiquated in another few years, right? I hope yeah. so. If my <laughs> VR idea takes off, yeah, I hope so. Because I built a whole landing page in VR where it's like a haunted house. You walk through, you experience the product, the service, you learn about it. I even have one right now where you launch a rocket and you're learning about this P5 rocket model for a friend of mine. It's his business improvement framework. But you learn about this thing in a video. You launch the rocket. And then after the rocket launches, you automatically get a prompt to book a call with him and it dumps you right into his calendar. That yeah. right there is a magical experience to convert people like you wouldn't believe in comparison to a traditional website. And it's and also what I notice is if I send somebody a website, they're they're not smiling, their face doesn't change. Yeah. If I send them virtual reality, they're like, <laughs> Wow, this is cool. You know, even my dad who I have to go to his computer to turn on, I have to go to his house to turn on his computer, he was able to book a call. You know, so that tells me I'm on to something here in this, in this system. Pretty good, Tony. You know, so yeah, we got VR. That's why I'm so I believe that hundred percent. There's going to be better ways to experience a company, a brand, and in a more meaningful way, an immersive way, a memorable way. You know, like we read the copy on the screen, but if, if we can actually play with something and use it and see how it performs, I mean, that's going to blow people away. Then even if you look at what you're describing, if after that experience it dumps them right into the Discord, so they don't even hit a website, they see virtual reality online, yeah. then it dumps them right into a Discord chat. That right there is the result that you want as a business. It's great. It's great when that happens. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, because um, we've been working with various protocols and Web3 companies and helping them with branding to development of websites to platform development and, you know, everything in between, it, you know, it, these sites are so, the good ones are so simple. It's like, here we are. Here's who we are. Here's what we do. Oh, by the way, here's a white paper. The other two links on it is like white paper, Discord. That's it. Yep. Or uh, GitHub. For, you know, most of them have GitHub. Um, but it's very simple. It's a it's a it's a launch pad. That's all it really is. So, um, really interesting. Awesome, Tony. One thing that uh, I I love what you said about uh, kind of bringing joy to to digital experiences, and I think that's so vital. I think we're thinking a lot along the same lines. Uh, websites increasingly feel so one-sided, so dry, whereas VR, whereas Discord, whereas there's this idea, or like what you're doing with the audio chats, there's a human being on the other side, and it's kind of weird, right? Like on one hand, we live in this LinkedIn world where our, and our identities are our jobs, and I'm a this, I'm a that, but at the end of the day, you can see it. And when you mentioned it in the story of this person who was able to get off drugs, we want to connect with human beings. We want authentic, real human connection. And, and I guess I would just say, what, what's your experience and, and, and how do you think marketers can get past uh, maybe their own roadblocks to think that way? Because that really is what it's all about in the end. It's just person yeah. to person. We're just people at the end of the day. Yeah, I'll, I'll share something very powerful. It might not hit the marketing side, but anybody who's running a project or will run in the future, this will be very valuable for you. So uh, what I did is I responded to every message I got. Every one of them, every message I got from somebody, whether it was a good question and whether it was a bad question that I didn't want to, all right, you know, this isn't a, this is a negative connotation, whatever it was, I approached all that head on and I gave everybody a response, you know, and that right there was very powerful for the project because then it, I showed them the value of, of them as equals, right? Like if you message me and I don't respond, that means that I'm higher than you based on my own internal hierarchy, right? But if you message the CEO of a project and they respond back immediately, what does that send to you as an investor? And I even had people say, like, I didn't even expect you to respond back. So I didn't even, and I would go back and forth with them and have conversations. I'd even get on calls and talk to them and, and get their feedback. And, and actually, when it comes to relationships and building and people, uh, one of the guys that I built a relationship with through the project ended up being a guy that's a VP of a studio in Hollywood. They had celebrity connections, and actually, that's how I got introduced to um, his name is Mike. Okay, and Mike knows Anthony, who uh, Jared, Jared is Anthony's brother, who works for Rich. Okay, so right. you guys, so you could see how the connections. <laughs> so world, when I mentioned, yeah. 
And how Mike and I originally started talking was he sent me a messages. He was asking about sort of the tokenomics, utilities, and, and I was going back and forth. And we were working through, like, his questions before he was investing. And, and he's, whatever he wanted to learn, my key point is, if I didn't respond to that individual, we would not be here today, okay? But because I took care in doing that, I was able to identify and relate to people as equals in that community. And so even if we think about a DAO, what is that really doing? You know, it's sort of looking at people as equals. If we think about our project now, we run that. If you can look at people as equals and really treat them as such when you're running your project and your community, you're gonna be miles ahead of everybody else who just simply ignores the message and doesn't respond back because they say they don't have the time. But you know what? There's nothing more valuable than responding to that person and making them a long-term supporter if you're smart. You know, so that to me is what I really prioritize. And that's the best form of marketing because now they're holders. They go out there in every event. They're going to help you. When you're on Twitter spaces, they will join and make those numbers higher and show their support. When, I'm in, when I did an AMA at a major channel, we had 200 of those people went over there and said positive things at the end or asked great questions, right? So when we really think about what we're trying to do in our marketing, it's doing just what I just described, making people into like your fans through engaging them in the right way and respecting them in the right way um, was a major part of um, how we ran that. And, and that's a key insight I wanted to share. Yeah, Tony, that the I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it, it sounds silly, but even like hobbies that I have, like you buy this product, right? And you're like, oh my God, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit uncommon. It's not like buying uh, you know, a computer where you can call up anyone and kind of get it fixed. It's a, it's a specialty thing. And you're like, oh, am I going to get the support I need or whatever? And then all of a sudden you reach out over Instagram and you're talking to the founder of the company. And it sounds silly, but just having a little dialogue and actually helping, having them, the, the designers of this product, help you troubleshoot or enjoy, extend the enjoyment of their services and or products is magical. And I, I, you know, it sounds silly, but it's great. It's a wonderful thing. They're like, oh my God, I talked to Tony Drummond. Uh, you know, I see his podcast or, you know, I know such and such who knows him or they just feel a nice connection to you. And it, and it might only be once, um, but it stays with them. You know, and they yep. remember that. And that truly is building brand equity, you know, through human, human interaction. I want to share something. So just so today, you know, if we just look towards it's it's been I want to say at this point, it's been seven months since I've been gone for my project. And today, someone in a group chat I'm in sent a message that was in the MicroPets community saying, Tony, we miss you. Thank you so much for your effort that you put in. I just got that today. Actually, awesome. And it still happens. So, you know, if the listeners take anything away, the importance of what I just shared, if you're looking to build something long term and have like people who really love what you're doing, there's no better way to do that than to build the connections with them. You know, you can't lose track of that. So, yeah, absolutely. So as two guys, you know, we're sort of a group talking shop here. We sort of live in this world. How do you balance because you're very generous with your time, no question. But how do you balance when when a, when someone is not yet a paying client? How much do you balance how much you give away and then how much you protect? Because, you know, if you're good at something, they say never do it for free. So how do you like how do you yeah. balance that world? Because on one hand, this is Web3. And I think this is a unique industry. We are more open. We are more enthusiastic than a lot of fields. You know, this isn't New York real estate where we're fighting for every plot of land. Yeah. But um, but in, on the other hand, we we try to you know have our own proprietary technologies. How do you balance that out? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something I've I've worked on in my company. Is I'll, I'll tell you how I do it. So um, I even have some advisory clients right now that I just I just straight up advise them and, and help them out. And and you know I have some that I took sent up in the beginning that I I ended up looking back and they were very lopsided relationships. Okay, so. What I will do is I actually, at the end of the week, I'll look at my calendar and see, hey, what was worth it? What was not worth it? What was adding value to my company? You know, where was I spending my time that I shouldn't be spending my time? And that has been very good for me. And what I will actually do next is I will send, if I have to get on an assertive phone call, I will. If I have to send an assertive email, I will. I will, like in the beginning, a lot of people say, yeah, I'll help you with all this stuff, right? They, they, they try and pump it up like they'll do all this stuff with you. And it sounds great. It sounds great, 
But I, I don't forget that, and I pay attention to that after the agreement comes in. And if I look at my own time and I say, hey, and there was one example I'll give where I put in at least 15 hours of my time with someone, and then they put in an hour when I asked them for something. They said, oh, I've been too busy. I said, so you're asking me to prioritize your company when you won't prioritize mine, and you're paying nothing. Mm. So I, I literally asked. That's how I actually said it. So I don't hold back in that because in the beginning, you said you would do all this. Where's all this at? You know, and I just simply have to approach it in a very assertive manner. And But now if I look at a client and they say, hey, we're trying to figure this out. What's our budget? Will you help us? I'll gladly get on a few calls. No problem. I don't charge people for that. I want people to feel like they know what they're buying. I want to understand how I can help them first and foremost. And then once you do it that way, then the relationship carries its way forward. And it's a long-term client relationship. So that's how I look at this stuff. Um, but I have fallen into some traps. And now I'm much smarter, like kind of looking at this and saying, especially in the Web3 world, I don't accept tokens or nothing like that either. Like they try and, hey, we'll give you tokens. I don't want that. It's not for me. You know, yeah. who knows where things will go in the future. I pay all my stuff in, in cash right now. I can't pay nobody with, I can't pay my mortgage with tokens. You know, nor you will, will one wanna, day, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, nor will I want to, and here's the other thing, nor will I find value in selling your token while I actually act like I'm supporting you. Okay, that's another thing. Yeah, you know, it's definitely from an ethics standpoint. Yeah, for from sure. an ethics standpoint. Like, yeah, I want to see you be successful, Bob. But meanwhile, I'm selling all your token after your life because yeah. right? I got my allocation, uh, right? How does that work? You know, that to me is the hang up. And maybe I'm too ethical. I've had people tell me I'm leaving a ton of money on the table even. Um, and But at the end of the day, what I've been doing is working. And I'm just going to continue doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. I think doing the right thing pays off in the end. And I agree with that. I, <laughs> I think, no, I do. I think. <laughs> I, yeah, I think being that, a decent human being, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, there's a lot, and you see it in a lot of industries, you know. I, I think especially in crypto and in blockchain, we see how people are getting blown apart by their own greed. And so, you know, this is a, this is a very collaborative effort, you know, something it's very unlike any other industry. So, so I think you're right down the right track. Rich, would you kind of agree with that sentiment? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think there's, the, you know, people are inherently good. Uh, they just get tempted by different uh, different things that that hit them all the time. You know, look at um, you know the whole Binance um, debacle. You know, and, and FTX. It's like these guys are worth hundreds of like billions and billions of dollars. They they they're raised to godlike status uh, within their networks. They're worth gobs of money, and I think their perspectives get skewed. And then you have these bickering, like these over Twitter and, and Discord, you have bickering. And it sounds like little kids on a playground. Uh, and you have to realize, like, guys, be, please be straight shooters. You're, you're running yep. these exchange, larger-than-life exchanges. There's million, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in stake, hundreds and thousands of lives on the stake. You know, um, ultimately, obviously, in, investing in what you invest is your choice. But have some responsibility. Act like an adult. You know, do the right thing. You know, it, 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 this is not Shark Tank. Like, you, you don't need to. You don't need to have a battle every five minutes. Um, just tell people the money is there. You've got more money than than anyone. Um, don't you know? Just relax and just tell the right story. And do what you're doing. Yep. You know? Yep, exactly. Help each other to and have the right intentions and, and add value to each other. You know, just like our relationship here, the mutually beneficial relationships where you know, I see that as the most important aspect of Web3. There's a lot of a lot of people just seeing how much they can get, but there's not yeah. a whole lot of people saying, Hey, this is challenging. How can we help people? You know, and, and that's why I've kind of done it this way. That's why I don't take referral fees. Like if I refer a client to a developer, I don't ask for a commission or none of that. You know, and I do that because that will help the project be more successful. So I think, you know, over time, the ethics that we have will ultimately empower the people who really want to build stuff to be more successful. Because if if they're working with somebody stripping away all their capital through referral fees, you know, now they get to the end when they're ready to go. What do they have left? They have nothing left. They've been stripped away, you know, by mm -hmm. all these other people just farming from handing off one to the other, you know, that's, that's, you know, why I think that 
what I just mentioned is so important to continue forward. Just what you mentioned of really good people. Let's work together. Let's collaborate. Let's add value together and not just have lopsided stuff or what's all in it for me. You know, if you do that, you're going to win no matter what. You're going to win no matter what if you really have the best intentions because you're going to find good people. You know, it's it's funny because if you've been in this world long enough, you, you see that there's two types of people, right? When something like a FTX, you know, or a Terra, you know, implosions happen, people it's like one group of people complain and they're doing whatever and freaking out and causing FUD and doing whatever. And then there are the, you know, developers and product people who are like heads down. They're just doing their thing that, yes, you get a little rattled, but you just keep pushing on. And that I respect that. Um, and those are the people building the, the infrastructure and the, and the super highways for tomorrow. Uh, and they are steadfast on staying that course. And I love that. And that's what we're doing. And that's what I, you know, I know you're doing. So uh, it's, it's fantastic. Tony, I know you're, I know you're busy and we, we need to kind of wrap up. You've got a lot of stuff going on and we appreciate your time as always. Well, we're going to have to do a follow-up by the way, but as we, as we sort of close out, um, something that I see you post on LinkedIn a lot about this. And I always, I always like your insights. You're, you're very attuned to giving people advice on the pitfalls to avoid as they enter web three. That's yeah. you, you've said you've had some of the battle scars and you've been there and you know it. Yeah. And that's a, that sometimes there's no better way to learn. Uh, maybe just kind of like if you were to give someone, you know, finishing this episode two or three, just key points, what do you not do when you're getting started? I think that's something that people can walk away with and think, okay, I'm going to keep that in mind as I start, as I start my path down web three, whatever that project may be. Yeah. So I would say like step number one of one mistake to avoid is like who you're going to work with. Okay. So like when you're building your initial project, you want to make sure that the people that you're surrounding yourself with work the way you do that, you know, you have similar work ethics, you have similar level of professionalism, your expectations of are aligned, you know, otherwise if it's not one person is going to produce things that you won't like necessarily. So the team composition is very important to both have a variety of minds, but also have similar work ethics. It doesn't matter the, the skill sets, the work ethic to work together is critical. That's one mistake to avoid it because that could blow up your whole thing. The other mistake to avoid is making sure is, uh, you know, making sure that you have the right tokenomics models so that you're not just kind of making this stuff up, which is also important because I see a lot of people just make stuff up. And it's often the most important part that they make it up. Then they spend money in development and marketing. <laughs> the thing that they made up is really, it's like it has this critical point of failure. <laughs> they don't know it yet. They're going to invest all this money and then it's going to fail later. You yeah. know, and, and that's also like relating back to what happened with me with some of my tokenomics models. And just looking back where you follow the pack and then you're doing what everyone else is doing. Well, you don't see what the failures happen until they happen. Then you're also already on the ride. You know, there's no turning back. So I would say, you know, just really making sure that you think about tokenomics, you look at them the right way, you follow basic economic principles, you look at it like a business. That's something important to consider. And the other last thing I'd like to say is in regards to who you hire and who you work with. There's a lot of bad actors out there. I've had marketers that I talked to them and said, all right, what are your KPIs that you typically look at? What's a KPI mean? Okay, now if your marketer doesn't know what a KPI is, that's a major, major red flag. And I've asked them, give me a marketing plan that you've given a prior client. Just show me something that shows how you operate, how you plan, how you organize, you know, to execute a strategic plan. So you execute for a client. They said, we don't have that. I said, here, let me give you an Excel document. We don't even know how to use Excel. You know, look at the level of a lot of people that are operating in this space. So when you look at the people that you're going to hire off of, there's a lot of bad actors. There's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. And even people that have a lot of followership on LinkedIn, when I look at what they've actually done, it's nothing. All they do is make generalized comments, but they've never made anything themselves. So one big pain point mistake, let's say, is don't work with somebody that hasn't done this before, if you, don't, if you can avoid it, okay? So there's people out there, if you need the guidance, which I recommend, find someone who's done it before, because they've already made all the expensive mistakes. The people who just give the generalized advice if you start asking them details, they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. Like a lot of these people, you start asking tokenomics, they don't know any better. And <laughs> what's going to end up happening is they will guide you towards a disaster because they haven't had the failures yet either. 
I've had more failures than I can count, and that's both in my let's call it traditional business career and now in the blockchain career. There's many failures, many learning lessons. Millions of dollars have been spent on learning these lessons as well through running the project. And you know, I've I, I've seen what works, I've seen what doesn't work, and that's what I could give as an advice: is be very careful who you work with as well and who you hire. Yeah, don't and, rush and, into and, it, and know what you don't know, right? And yeah. and and ask for help. But to your point. You know, don't look under every rock, you know, be focused about it and and do your due diligence, just like, you know, investing, you know, lift the hood. I always say lift the hood. (laughs) I think that's a great I think that's a great finishing line. Uh, Tony, we want to thank you so much for jumping by. Uh, Everybody check out uh, Tony Drummond at moonboundconsulting.com. Uh, we'll, of course, provide all those links and any other links in the description. Tony, great conversation. You're always welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate this. And I see you guys all the time on LinkedIn. So we'll definitely catch each other there. Okay. And thank you so much for having me here. And, uh, and thanks to the listeners for listening to the podcast. Hopefully they'll take some nuggets. And if nothing else, they'll just listen to this and do nothing. Take the actionable steps and actually do something with it and capture the next trend, which is going to be blockchain technology and Web3. So yeah. have fun and enjoy the ride. Tony, thank you so much. And we look forward to talking with you many, many more times in the future. Thank you guys. Thanks, Tony. Same here.